episode 193 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 29th of August, 2022. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. How's it going? Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. Let's get straight on with our discoveries then. Phelan, what is TTS? TTS is a text-to-speech system that actually doesn't sound as like a robot as Festival does, which sounds like a terrible robot from the 70s. And you say, why would you need such a thing? Well, I was trying to do some automated scripting of IVR stuff for a client, and I thought, ha, huh, this would be easy. They can just have a simple web page or they can pick from drop-downs to say that, you know, such and such is happening between blah and blah, and then they can make simple announcements that people could ring into. And it sounded so bad, it was unbelievable. So this is a decent-sounding, I think, well, relatively so, text-to-speech engine. And it's actually quite easy to install. There's a simple pip command if you just want to do the uh, actually use it. And it can create wave files for you and stuff like that. So good crack. Could you very quickly explain what an IVR is? Oh, it's an interactive voice response, I think, if that's the right. Jeez, I've used it for so long that I can't remember. <laughs> so essentially, you ring in, gives you a set of options, one, two, three, four, whatever, and you pick one of them. Person. Let me through to a person, human being. <laughs> Automatic hang-up is what I would put in my code for that. But yeah, anyway, it's a way to get info. It's quite handy, though, where for certain clients, they've had offices where they've been affected by uh, freak weather, like hurricane and snow, both times of the year. So it's actually been quite useful for staff to ring in and go, are we supposed to come in today or is it all okay? And you don't want somebody having a man line or send an email and miss people out. If you've got an information system you can update easily, that's one way to do it. And I was thinking, what's easier than a web page to do something like that? And then, yeah, it just unfortunately produced a horrific, horrific voice thing. That sounded like a robot. I thought you brushed over the fact that it's they use deep learning. <sighs> yeah, I see, I see what you're doing there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying that AI is completely wrong. It's just mostly wrong. <laughs> And was the data sets they used for this deep learning, were they all open source? I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Screw you, Graham. (laughs) Let's hear it in action then. This is one you prepared earlier, Fairlane. It is. Hello and welcome to Late Night Linux. My name is Joe and with me are... Flim, Graham, and Will. <laughs> and do you know what? That's not even the worst pronunciation from a human I've had of my name. So I'll, I'll live with that. Flawless. I like how she says Lennox. Like, uh, he who shall not be mentioned anymore. Yeah, I wonder where those data sets came from. <laughs> <laughs> there are some good demos, or rather there are some demos on their website if you click through yeah. the examples. The, the quality of the voice is a bit uncanny valley. Like, it's... In certain points, it's really, really good. And then when you get to punctuation and the flow of the speech, then it falls down. But I was really impressed by the natural soundingness, if that's a thing, of the voice. It was it was pretty impressive. And if you've got something like a government agency where, you know, you've actually got like proper flood warnings and things like that, this is a great way to get info to people who, you know, they might be elderly and they don't want to go to a website. They just want to ring that number. It's really good. All right, well, Audible Activator. I can only imagine what this might be to do with audiobooks, perhaps. Indeed. Uh, it turns out that when, if you have an Audible subscription, which I don't have, but my wife does have, you get credits every month, which you can then spend on audiobooks. But you actually own those audiobooks. It's not a license, as I understand it. 
you actually own it. You've actually bought it. And as long as you stay inside the Audible app, then everything is fine and you you never need to worry about it. But I wanted to buy an audiobook and I did not want to buy a Audible subscription. So my wife said that I could use one of her credits to buy what I wanted, which was much, much cheaper than buying the equivalent CD release. CD? Yeah. yeah. Remember those? They were really good. You could put jam on them and they still work. They're amazing. Sorry. <laughs> so I ended up with uh, with an audiobook which we owned, but yet was no use to me whatsoever. So I thought there must be an open source mechanism to fix this problem. And there is. An Audible activator is it. So when you download, or you can download from the Audible website, a, a binary blob of your audiobook, but it's in some special encrypted format, which won't just play. Audible activator will use the secret API that is not exposed to the public in Audible. So you log in with your username and password. It will find your owned audiobooks. It will get the decryption key that is necessary to decrypt them. It will download that and it will give you a special magic byte string of, uh, I don't know what it is, like 10 characters or something like that. And then you can use FFmpeg to feed that secret key in and FFmpeg will spit out an MP4 or M4A file of your audiobook with all the metadata, with all the cover art, and it's legitimately yours and you haven't broken any copyright laws as far as I can tell. So do check it out. On their website, they point to another project called Open Audible, which is not open. They ripped <laughs> off Audible Activator, repackaged it into a, a Java app, I think, and then stuck it up as being open. So avoid that. Use FFmpeg. Use Audible Activator. Happy days. Oh, I don't think I could hate a company more. Be called open, not open, and then turned it into Java of all fucking things. <laughs> Fuck those guys. <laughs> No, that's brilliant, Will. I've never had an Audible subscription, but like every two years, Amazon says, hey, why don't you try out Audible for like a month? Mm. And I always do it and I always get two free books. And like the last four years, I've got like a collection of 10 books. And like I always choose the longest books. War and Pace. Dolce, yeah. <laughs> Value for money. Hopefully it'll work. I've just checked and my Audible library still has all those things in it, even though I still haven't got an active subscription. So it's really useful for people, even if they get that offer. This is brilliant because I do a lot of walking with the dog and I'd love to read more of the books I even own. And But the problem is you just can't get a decent audio book of them. And, you know, I very happily pay for it. I'm not trying to get something for free that's, you know, ripped off or anything. And this... This kind of piques my interest quite a lot because I've often wanted to read The Cuckoo's Egg, but I'm never going to get around to reading it. But I love podcasts. So, yes, I think I might have found a way to spend some money here. Well, that brings me to my point. Don't be listening to audiobooks. Be listening to podcasts. I do listen to podcasts, Joe. Don't worry. I've got more than enough podcasts to go around. It's just I wish I could get rid of some of the books that are sitting on my shelf. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that the local library, certainly in, well, I think it's like syndicated across all the libraries in, certainly in England, I guess, elsewhere. They have an audiobook service, which you can log into and download an MP3 entirely free of copyright of an audiobook. It's not of the same production quality as the Audible version, I would say. It's normally just some guy reading a book, but there are some good ones on there and they are obviously completely free so do check out your local library maybe they've got some that they'll lend you 
Bravo 2-0 by Andy McNeil, <laughs> read by Joe Ressington. Gets better with every read. I would pay double money for that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Graham, what's Furnace? Okay, so I haven't got an audio demo of this, which is unfortunate. I thought about making one, but it's a bit complicated. Furnace is a chip tune tracker. So a couple of things in that. So most people, I think, may be familiar with trackers. It's like something that started, I guess, with the Amiga. It's a very kind of low-level assembly language, almost, way of composing music. On the Amiga, there was Sound Tracker, where you kind of had... It was like a spreadsheet where you put in note data and also kind of effect manipulation data for each note, and people could kind of embed that code in their games or demos, and the music would come out. And because of the way you kind of constructed it in the spreadsheet, it sounded a certain way, but it enabled you to create really kind of powerful tracks, like there were lots of arpeggios from the limited hardware of the time. Right, Furnace is a modern open source tracker that also includes the sound engines or recreations of the sound engines of, I don't know, over 50 different platforms, arcade machines, games, consoles, home computers of the time. I've done a bit of looking into this and it seems like they've taken the code from other open source projects for those sound engines. I've looked at the SID one and the Amiga one, for example, ReSID is used and it labors you to like create this old fashioned tracker kind of music with authentic recreations of the hardware in a single app that's also looks amazing it has effects it has oscilloscopes it's like an ide for assembler like chiptune music in a modern app is it fair to say that it's kind of a text-based sequencer almost well trackers i've, I've kind of skimmed over it but trackers are still cool <laughs> There's a brilliant app on Linux. Quantify cool, please. <laughs> well, they're used in a lot of IDM and modern music. The the way that it... You, because you're kind of adding one note after the next manually, um, and you're also often arpeggiating sounds and copy and pasting bits and repeating elements with different uh, durations, it's still used as a way of composing music. It works. So you can get Eurorack modules. There are modern PC, Windows, Mac OS and Linux trackers it's still like a legitimate way to make music because it forces you to do something in a certain way so it's not even kind of nostalgic purely but yes it is like a spreadsheet of different columns so that one column is the note one column might be the duration one column might be a certain effect like pitch bend or an echo effect and the effects in furnace actually refer to the different capabilities of each sound chip so if you're using a SID chip it might be the filter it sounds much more complicated than it really is. And there are Furnace includes a load of demos. You can just download it and play them and then listen to the music that it generates. I love the look of this editor. It reminds me of uh, like Octomed and those yeah. tracker editors of the time. I'm looking forward to playing with this, especially choosing the different sound chips. That's such a nice feature. So I'm going to go off and download this right now and play my favorite tracker tune of all time, Trial.mod. All right, well, my discovery is that Chrome OS Flex is a bit weird when it comes to updates. So we talked about this on the last episode. Chrome OS Flex is essentially Chrome OS for any device minus Android app support, essentially, and with varying hardware support. But weirdly, you go to about Chrome OS and then check for updates. And then I just got stuck in this loop of it just kept updating to the same version. And then I asked on Twitter, 
what version are you running on your proper Chromebooks? And then people said it was like 104 or whatever, and I was stuck on 103. And I don't know if it's because I jumped on it fairly early or what, but it just would not update beyond that. So I had to reinstall Chrome OS Flex. And then again, it installed 103. And then I checked for updates, rebooted, and it was still on 103. But then I did it again, and then rebooted from down near the clock. And then it was on 104. So I have no idea what's going on with updates and Chrome OS Flex, but it is not very good as far as I can see. It's not as solid as proper Chrome OS. So Phantom, I suppose you get to gloat maybe about that. I do actually, yeah. <laughs> Shame that, isn't it? Yeah, I thought you'd be uh, happy with that. I'm heartbroken. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Collide. Traditional endpoint security tools can make your workplace feel like a surveillance state, turn users and the IT team into adversaries, and ultimately drive your employees to work on unsecured personal devices. It doesn't have to be this way. Collide is a device security solution built around honest security. Their philosophy is that employees aren't your biggest security risk, they're your biggest allies, and your relationship with them should be based on transparency and informed consent. Collide works by notifying your employees of security issues via Slack and giving them step-by-step instructions on how to resolve them themselves. For IT and security teams, Collide provides the right level of visibility for Mac, Windows and Linux devices. It can answer questions about your fleet security that traditional MDMs can't. You can meet your security goals without compromising your values. Visit collide.com slash late night Linux to find out how. If you follow that link, they'll hook you up with a goodie bag just for activating a free trial. That's K-O-L-I-D-E dot com slash late night Linux. On to a bit of admin then. First of all, thank you everyone who supports us with PayPal and Patreon. We really do appreciate that. If you want to join those people, you can go to latenightlinux.com slash support. And remember, for $10 or more per month on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed that includes this show, Linux Downtime, and Linux After Dark. And if you want to get in contact, you can email show at latenightlinux.com. Let's do some feedback then. And firstly, thank you everyone who got in touch about my lineage issue on the OnePlus 5. People suggested all sorts of stuff, and I've, I've tried a few things, and it's still ongoing. I haven't decided exactly what I'm going to do, but I think ultimately... It boils down to whenever I do an OTA update, I just have to then manually reflash Magisk and then it just works fine, which is sort of an acceptable workaround for me. I don't know if it's going to be acceptable for my wife. So it's still sitting on my desk now, this OnePlus 5, and she's still got the OnePlus 3 randomly rebooting. So in conclusion, uh, yeah, it's a pain in the ass just buy an iPhone like well. Speaking of phones, we had a fair few people point out that we made a bit of an error a few episodes ago. Patrick said, just some feedback on 189 regarding the SMS chat you had. RCS is free on Android devices and is not part of the plan. It just needs Google's Message app, which is pre-installed on most Pixel devices, or you can download it on non-Pixel devices. It runs on mobile data or Wi-Fi. As far as I'm aware, most plans have unlimited texting, that's SMS texting, at this point. I haven't seen a plan charge and limit SMS in years. The colour of iPhone iMessages is blue and green for everyone else. And James also echoed that, saying that SMS messages are free in the US for most wireless carriers like AT&T, Verizon and T-Mobile. So yeah, you two were not the only people who pointed that out. Lots of people did. I was wrong. I think that you used to have to pay to receive them, but my uh, data is out of date there. An SMS is about 10 cent in Ireland. What? Still? Hi. But I mean, who uses them? 
That's so weird, man. Like, they've been free in the UK. Well, not I say free, part of your plan. Oh, no, no, hold on a sec. There are plans where if you and your family or whatever are on the same contract holder, like, you know, say it's three or whatever your your provider is, you will get like an, oh, it's an unlimited number and it's like a thousand per month or something like that. But if you cross networks, it is not free. Wow. That's like it was in the like mid nineties, yeah. mid to late nineties. Yeah, well, well, that's well, that's the system that's here. So I mean, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's everywhere else. But the thing is, who the fuck uses them anyway? They're all shite. Well, as we got into when we talked about this last time, people accidentally use them by sending. Um, they think they're sending an iMessage. Well, they don't even think about it. But uh, it's like my dad sometimes texts me from his iPhone and. Uh, uh, you know, he most of the time uses WhatsApp, but then sometimes just forgets and texts me and sends me a photo, and that's probably costing money. Yeah. So, yeah, SMS is shit. Just use Signal or WhatsApp or Telegram. Just have all the apps installed. So, Ag said, You discussed Latte Doc's recent abandonment by its developer. Joe mentioned that he couldn't fathom the fascination with Docs. Although I thought that was me, but fair enough. I thought I could shed a little light on the plasma side of things. I've been using Latte Dock for several years on Plasma as a total replacement for the default panels, using Latte's excellent panel mode. Latte has always been ahead of the standard panel as far as performance, transparency, floating effects, shadows, and customizations. Latte also lets you change panel layouts when you change activities. For example, I use a Windows-like layout for normal browsing and a Unity-like layout for focus work. It's a real shame that development has stopped. Hopefully someone will continue the project. And this is exactly the kind of email that I was expecting we were going to get. Because I don't get docs, you don't get docs failing. No. But the people who love them, they really fucking love them. I still don't quite get it. I have used Latte Doc. But the plasma kind of panel is configurable enough. Yeah. And I use Tool Manager on the Amiga. I kind of get it. <laughs> well, in Alex's list there, performance, yes, please. Customization, yes, please. But transparency, floating effects, and shadows, uh, yeah, no thanks. Oh, well, all those things are now in plasma in the panel. Mm. Like the floating and, you know, it, it doesn't have to touch the edges if you don't want to. I don't, why would you waste all those pixels? Jesus. Well, the thing that I really need is like... Being able to add a folder to the panel and then being able to have it the download folder and being able to sort the download folder to show the thing you've just downloaded. And do you like it to like explode out in that animation? Do you like things to sort of jump up and down as they're loading as well? Not always. I mean, maybe on my home activity rather than my work activity, but it depends, you know, it depends how things are going. Genuine question. Do you actually use activities properly? I have activities set up for work and non-work stuff and i must admit i don't switch to the non-work stuff i just do all my non-work right. stuff in a different i just desktop. use i yeah, use virtual exactly, desktops yeah. for it yeah. yeah yeah i've i i can see why you do it but i'm just not organized enough have you set it in plasma graham that any interaction with a file in dolphin just sets it to rename the file i think that's probably where katie's been going wrong all these years <laughs> yeah it's like press enter on it rename oh i see what you mean I don't use Dolphin very much, actually, mostly for network access. I still really miss Conqueror. I really like the inline previews. I'm sorry. Okay, old man. Well, Thunar's better for both oh, networks and local stuff. It is. Shut up. I don't care, I don't care what shut you say. It's far better. Comes in all two colours. Yeah. Comes in any colour you want, as long as it's grey. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's not true. You can theme it however you want. Yes, it is true. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Alex, I'm glad that you like it, and I'm sad that it's going away, but hopefully you'll find another doc that will uh, replace it. 
And uh, just because we don't get it doesn't mean that it's shit. It just means that uh, breakfast cereals and choice and stuff like that. Right, Stuart said, just thought Graham might like to know that the Gadget Bridge app available on F-Droid has some support for configuring Galaxy Buds. Yeah, this is excellent. Thanks, Stuart. I think this is related to a find a Galaxy Buds client or something um, where I was using Linux to configure my cheap Amazon Prime sale day Galaxy Buds, which are not bad headphones. And I can actually do it on my phone, thanks to Stuart's recommendation of the Gadget Bridge app. Yeah, no, I've heard of Gadget Bridge for smartwatches and stuff, but I didn't know they supported headphones. It sounds like a really cool project. Yeah, it does. And I guess it's to do with Samsung cynically packaging everything into their kind of wearable API. Ah. Um, so maybe when you unlock some of it, you can unlock all of it, including headphones. Right. Yeah, but it is all sort of peripherals for a phone, I suppose. Yeah, it allows them to tick contacts for one thing and then, you know, get access to everything for everything else. Hmm, excellent. Well, thanks for that, Stuart. Matthew sent in LNL Discoveries, yet another person who took up this. Uh, it was just like yeah, almost a joke that I said, like, oh, that sounds like a good coding challenge for someone to uh, put together a list of our discoveries. And I've honestly lost count at this point of how many people have done it. We find out that has been added some university course like Computer Science 203 or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it'll be an interview question before too long. <laughs> so yeah, thanks for that, Matthew. Uh, you're not alone. And he wrote that in Python 2, I'd just like to point out. So he's clearly a good boy. Python 2 or Python as well? Python as well. Sorry, I do apologize. Okay, just so we know it's in Python 3. <laughs> okay, this episode is sponsored by Linode. Go to linode.com slash late night Linux, support the show, and get $100 free credit. From their award-winning support, offered 24-7, 365 to every level of user, to ease of use and setup, it's clear why developers have been trusting Linode for projects both big and small since 2003. Deploy your entire application stack with Linode's one-click app marketplace, or build it all from scratch and manage everything yourself with supported centralized tools like Terraform. And check out their managed MySQL, Postgres, and MongoDB databases that allow you to quickly deploy a new database and defer management tasks like configuration, managing high availability, disaster recovery, backups, and data replication. Simple and fast to deploy with secure access, their flexible plans include daily backups. So go to linode.com slash late night Linux, create a free account, and you'll get $100 in credit and support the show. That's linode.com slash late night Linux. And we've had an email from Charlie um, and she says, hello, chaps. The reason that I've not yet given up on using a Mac is the Apple ecosystem trap. I use a Mac for work and for personal use, as well as an iPhone and Apple Watch. These devices work extremely well together and I'd miss their functionality if I tried to leave them behind. E.g. unlocking my Mac with the Apple Watch, handover for taking phone calls on the laptop, Apple Notes syncing between devices, etc. But most importantly, for someone with severe ADHD, I make use of the ability to create reminders, events and timers via speech to text on the watch. This isn't just a nice to have for me, but a vital part of my life that stops me missing appointments and keeps my thoughts in line. Is there any of this functionality or wearable device included that can be replicated using FOSS? I don't expect that FOSS hardware exists, but I'd be happy to flash a device with another firmware if I could get the functionality. The bottom line is no, as far as I can tell. 
There's not even another proprietary ecosystem that ties together as well as the Apple one does. For all its faults of being vendor lock-in, really expensive, proprietary bullshit, all the shit that Phelim hates, Mm. from (laughs) what I hear from people who use it, I I can't believe I'm going to say this, but it just works. And it just works together. You know, if you've got a HomePod, an iPhone, an Apple Watch, a Mac, an iPad, they all just work together really well. And Apple has fucking nailed that. And that's why they are one of the, if not the biggest company on the fucking planet. And so, you know, like I say, even trying to do that with Microsoft or Samsung or whatever, like forget about it. And and as for FOSS, like, yeah, you can hack together some solutions for this that will do various things for you, but it will never, I don't think, compete with Apple in terms of the integration and the ecosystem. I totally agree with you, Joe. I think also it's down to Charlie's quality of life and mm. that comes first. And the fact that they're emailing us and they're thinking about uh, FOSS software, that's the main thing. Most people don't ever give it any consideration, don't do anything to like think about open source software and how they can use it in their lives. So even doing it a little bit is better than the majority of people not doing it at all. So it do- you don't have to feel, no one has to feel bad for, I think, for not using it full time, 100% fail him like. Can I stand up for myself here? <laughs> fucking two, two weeks ago, fucking Joe takes a beating stick to me in a park in London and I wasn't even there to fucking stand up for oh, myself. I'm sorry, Faye. <laughs> now you, Jesus. <laughs> Look, I absolutely get that people have, you know, a particular use case for a thing and I would never tell anybody to do what I have to do because I hate having to do what I do, but I can't not do it. It's a... Uh, it's like a inverse fucking... It's sadism, Phelan. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be the first to admit it. And, uh, you know, save yourself, uh, you know, all you who enter here. But uh, it annoys me, though, when I see things like this where we could help people. It's like last week with KD where they said, you know, Plasma 526 is going to be fully screen readable. That is epic. And that's more epic than, you know, getting bugs ironed out that annoy me because you're giving power to people who either have, you know, a disability or uh, something that affects them in a certain way. And, you know, it doesn't affect everybody else. So therefore, it's, it's a difficult problem to solve, but we've solved it for somebody. And it, it annoys me that we don't have this perfect. And that's where I would get most of my sort of well spurring on or whatever you want to call it and it it really does annoy me that we can't be the perfect solution for everybody and i would not tell anybody to follow any of the ways i do things because they're just painful well speaking of that live show in the park i actually cut something from the published version of that which people who were there may have noticed if they listened to it and i cut it because i was just a bit angry and and drunk to be honest but what i said was you should never, ever apologize for your technology choices. And you should certainly never judge anyone else for their technology choices. And Charlie, if you are having a better quality of life, like Graham said, then don't apologize as far as I'm concerned. Do what makes you happy. Use the tool for the job. And if the tool happens to be proprietary, if you understand the trade-offs that come with that, then have at it as far as I'm concerned. And if you want to be like failing and be a sadist and not have any Google apps on your phone, then you will get much better battery life. Your phone will probably last you two days rather than one day. 
the thing is, it works for me. Mm. Like, it really works for me. I don't like, I have used my wife's phone and it is awful. I hate every slow, laggy minute of it. It's a more powerful phone than mine. Yeah, but she probably has a social life and gets messages, Faden. What? <laughs> <laughs> You're saying that as if that's a positive thing, Graham. <laughs> <laughs> So let's not judge Phelan for his choices, I suppose. Much like we shouldn't judge Will for his choice of an iPhone. Ah, we should. It's Will. (laughs) Well, it is funny too, I suppose. But in all seriousness, I think you've just got to use whatever is the best tool for you. And if someone comes to me and asks me, what's the best operating system for my laptop? I'll tell them Zubuntu. And I'll tell them why I think it's great. And I think it's the best choice for me and why they should check it out. So I should never ask Joe for anything. <laughs> well, and you know, if they came to you, Phelan, you'd say KDE Neon, probably. Probably. But then they might go away and try it, or you might even describe it, and they might say, oh, well, that doesn't sound like the right thing for me. I'm going to stick with my M1 MacBook Air or my M2, whatever. And you say, okay, cool. And I would ask, why? What's good about that? And I'd listen to them. And then I'd say, well, no, I want to be able to open files with Enter instead of uh, renaming them. So <laughs> no, I'll stick with Zubuntu things. <laughs> All right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back next week when we'll probably be covering what's been going on in the news, but we'll see. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later. <laughs>